Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dax Xavier Josiah, the host of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the podcast. You want to catch up with all of our podcast shows and hear from some of the hottest names in all of anime, comics, movies, and games, such as... This is Miley Flanagan, the voice of Naruto. This is Stephanie Shea, the voice of Sailor Moon. This is Ruben Langdon, voice of Ken Masters and Dante from Devil May Cry. Hey there, this is Kyle Abair, the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter V. This is Chris Battle, character designer of Teen Titans Go! Here's your chance to check out all of that and more on Talk Time Live. TalkTimeLive.com provides all of our ACMG content with new and previous episodes, exclusive interviews, articles, and much more. Visit TalkTimeLive.com and let us help you learn to let go, live life, and love all things ACMG. Talk Time Live! Hey, this is Jeff Thorne. I am the writer, producer, showrunner of the Avengers Black Panther's Quest TV series, and you are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live! It's time for your Talk Time Live exclusive. You are now about to witness the strength of geek knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, on the show right now is my next guest on Talk Time Live exclusive. He is a fellow Philadelphian and an award-winning artist and educator who, true superpower to me, is helping the youth recognize their power and worth through visual narrative. Something I and probably a lot of people in our community wish we had as well. You may have seen his work on Jeffrey Canada's uh, Fist, Stick, Knife, Gun, A Personal History of Violence, Detective Boogaloo, Hip Hop Cops, which I don't understand why people don't think that's a real thing. And he is... uh, uh, the Dwayne McDuffie recipient uh, award uh, winner of the graphic novel Leon Protector of the Playground. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jamar Nicholas to the show. Jamar, how you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. It's a, a pleasure to have you. It was great uh, getting a chance to meet you at Keystone and such. So I had to talk to you once I, you know, we got into the swing of things and then, you know, the panel and everything. So I've, I've been looking forward to talking to you because it seemed like somebody that I can really pick uh, your brain with and we could get down on some really uh, fun stuff and some educational stuff for the community. Sure. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> so are you still in Philly or did you move out, out of Philly? Uh, I'm, I'm on the outskirts. Like I live in, uh, like right outside of Oak Lane. Ah. So I'm like right at the Northern end of Philly. So you're like, talking like oh, Montgomery County region pretty much almost. Yeah. Kind of like I'm a little Shelton hammy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm a little bit country. Don't beat around the bush. That's where it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I've lived all over Philly. Like my family's from West Philly. Yeah. Like my family's from like 50th and race. Oh, and yeah, yeah, you know what's up. <laughs> and um, since, you know, uh, then I've never really left the city, but um, I lived for the most of my life in Germantown and Mount Airy and Oak Lane. So um, I just kind of moved a little bit over the city limits, but I'm still around, kind of like how Batman, <laughs> Batman comes out, out off Fairmount Park somewhere into Gotham. So I'm close. No, well, yeah, because I, no, I, I'm in, uh, I'm calling, I'm, talking to you from university city right now yeah yeah so but i also like you know been around the world in philadelphia before i you know hit west philly winfield um end up right back (laughs) to this area and and this is where i really became homegrown yeah it's it's funny how philly kind of goes through those cycles right you know like when i was coming up in the 70s in west philly and people were trying to get out of there now you know, people are trying to get into there. <laughs> it's oh god, you should see what it looks like around in uh, University City. I 
my wife and I lived around here for over a decade, like about maybe like 14 years since we've been married, like 2005. I swear to goodness, it just came right from under me how gentrified this area has become. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I I talked to some uh, like white kids that I know or just, you know, young people and they're like, oh, we live up on Baltimore Ave. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, OK, I, I, I just got to blink a lot and go, OK, go, go do you. Yeah, right. uh, yeah. The whole thing has changed, man. I don't know. I like to tell people that the Philly that I grew up in, I think we may be a little bit around the same age. Yeah, was was like trading places in yes. Murphy, Philly. Yes, where it was. was. Everything was just dirty. <laughs> Like everything just had like a layer of grime over it. It's you know? funny it was, that you said that too, because when I did the uh, Overwatch panel at Keystone, uh, Keystone mm-hmm. and the guests, my guests who are from the West Coast, mm-hmm. were saying how beautiful Philly was, and you know how it is—they only hit the tourist spot. <laughs> they went to the Pats. Right? Yeah, no, no, no. You know what? We had that discussion. <laughs> it, they kind of, they kind of did somewhat just as bad. One of them went to gyms. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was like, Ugh, if, you, uh-huh. if, we, if you would have met before, I would have told you where to go. <laughs> I know. I know. I love the cheesesteak uh, conversation. That's always a good one. It is. It is. It's like you, you make one. It's like the, uh, the Temple of Doom situation with the, go- <laughs> with the goblin. If you choose wrong. <laughs> you chose poorly. You chose poorly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I mean, it, you know, I, you got to love this area. You got to love it. Yeah. But. They were talking about how clean it was, and I'm just looking at the crowd, and I know some of them from Philly, and I was just waving my head like, no, just, just, just quite like, no, uh, no, no, let's just keep, like, let's move yeah, along. This is, yeah, it's very pristine here. <laughs> uh, you know, just talking about that, um, about how like so many things have changed, like the Met has just been open for maybe what, like almost eight months now, yeah. almost a year, and the Divine Lorraine are going to be like condos and you know all of that and i i remember saying i i saw some people come out of limo with fur coats on going into some high school restaurant right underneath uh, uh ben franklin high i'm like what <laughs> well i i just i i'm, I'm trying i'm trying to get, understand you're trying to just, assimilate and adjust <laughs> like yo, I got chased through there all through the nineties. What are you talking? All right. Anyway, let's move on. Exactly. I mean, it can be honestly, people. It this can be a whole discussion in itself. Yeah, it really could. Yeah. But you know, you are a very established cartoonist. And by the way, cartoonists. Explain to people because I think this discussion always comes up. Explain to people the difference between a cartoonist and an illustrator, per se. Okay. All right. So in in broad terms, I consider a cartoonist is a storyteller who uh, uh, communicates through words and pictures. Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like in some aspects, an illustrator's job is to communicate. Uh, well, I mean, it's almost the same thing. It's, it's really virtually. it's really close. It's virtually the same thing. I think it's just kind of like the vessel. Yeah. Right. So you could look at like some accomplished, uh, edu- uh, um, what do you call them? Political cartoonists yeah, yeah. as illustrators. Right. You know, and some people wouldn't call them cartoonists because it's just like too graphic mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, you know, there's an elephant that says Kuwait on the side of it. So <laughs> is that that's a nice elephant. So I guess that's illustration. You know, the, the, the lines get pretty blurry. Yeah. But, um, 
And I, as a cartoonist, I've taken on several illustration gigs. I consider myself an illustrator, but I think cartoonist is just a really broad term because I don't think, and I might get into trouble, Mm -hmm. that if you try to give a cartooning gig to an illustrator, you might not get the same result. Right. Right. If you've ever seen, like, on the side of a bus, somebody who was hired to do a superhero for, like, Prilosec or one of those things, and it just kind of doesn't look right. Because it's like not the right superhero language. Right. You know, we all kind of are ingrained with the, the Marvel way of drawing comic book superheroes. Yeah. And it just looks a little funky. They probably don't. They probably aren't a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that helps explain it a little bit. But, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'll stick to. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> almost like a to be continued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we get it's, the gist it, of it. We, yeah, yeah. I, I think that, I think you've explained the gist of what it is in, in in essence. But I can say this. I can I can add on to it to say like there is a a philosophical difference in in design by design of a cartoonist to an illustrator that I always see. Okay. Yeah. 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 We could we can we can roll with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, what sparked your passion to become a cartoonist? Um. Well. I'm sure most creative people you know or have talked to, uh, I, I was always drawing. I was that kid that always had a pencil in his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big influence for me was my mother, mm-hmm. who uh, passed a couple of years ago. But mm-hmm. she was a, um, back in the day, used to call him commercial artist. Right. Uh, they don't really call them that anymore. No, they I guess do not. I guess you call them a graphic designer. That I guess will be me. The closest thing, right? <laughs> graphic that design. Is, that is absolutely the new term. Right. And um, what I really found fascinating about what she was doing was she was creating this like client work mm-hmm. for these people I'd never met. And it looks just really uh, complicated and, and illustrative. Uh and she, you know, we, wherever we lived, she always had a room which was like a studio with, you know, a drafting table and templates and designer markers and all that kind of stuff. And I was uh, kind of, I was kind of in. We could talk about design markers, but right. um, I was kind of just in love with the idea that there was this kind of like foreign language going on in this room. But um, I really fell in love with cartooning by. Uh, being a fan of comic strips, right, I, right. You know, I grew up. Uh, I didn't really grow up reading comic books because mm-hmm. um, just from where I lived in the city, I didn't even know comic book stores existed until the mid '80s. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, everybody had the newspaper, so like, I, that's where a lot of my sensibilities come from. Right, is uh, strip cartooning, and that's kind of what I fell in love with and always wanted to do. When I was a really young kid, I really liked Doonesbury, the Gary Trudeau yes. strip, which isn't. I mean, it's not really a kid strip. It's not really accessible <laughs> for children, but it was just something about the the like the language that Trudeau was commanding in his work. You know, like a dude, like the Doonesbury characters have those weird looking bracket eyes with the eyebrow. <laughs> Nobody else drew like that. And I was just like, yo, but it works because this is his universe. Right. Right. It all makes sense in the strip. So I kind of liked also that kind of power play that you can get out of creating your own world and people just have to take it for what it is. Right. So that's kind of those are my early origins of wanting to be a cartoonist. <laughs> so your journey and main objective 
from mm. what I understand, is to inspire the youth of our culture mm-hmm. and our community through yeah. education and to help uh, with the book Leon, Protector of the Playground. Can you yes. talk about what led you to create Leon? Uh, sure. So one thing that's always very intriguing to me and maybe not to some people is that, you know, you come up with ideas all the time. Right. Um, and I have a file cabinet that has stuff in there from like maybe like 94 that I thought of, but it's just I didn't really have a place for it yet or mm-hmm. didn't. It wasn't time. And just because you can do it doesn't mean it's the right time to put it out in the world. Um, but I came up with Leon a long time ago, um, kind of a spinoff of my first self-published work. I was doing a self-published comic comic book called the jamar chronicles Mm. and uh i only did like two and a half issues of it and then i ran out of money but i had kind of plotted out all of these like you know far-reaching storylines and one of them was about uh oh real quick uh, in the jamar chronicles it was basically this really funny story of me trying to save the universe by jumping through dimensions right very sliders type of stuff uh you know now that you know all the dimension stuff has played out with rick and morty like i was like <laughs> all right i okay i did that like 20 years ago but all right um this will move on uh one and one of the dimensions i was going to meet this kid mm-hmm. right so this kid was kind of like the hero of this world who was basically like a ward, like Robin is to Batman. Yeah. So just imagine it was basically Batman and Robin with daddy issues mixed in. Ah. So <laughs> basically Batman went out for some cigarettes and never came home. <laughs> <laughs> he went out to get some Newports and he never, he never sometimes came Sometimes I back. feel like the real Bruce is really <laughs> that close to being that to Robin sometimes. Right. He could just dip. <laughs> Right, he's not coming back. Especially this recent, like this this modern day version. It's like, he, Ro, he Robin is just going to piss him off just a tiny bit more before he's like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm just out. Just <laughs> I'm leaving. going to the watchtower above in space. <laughs> he just leaves the keys to the Batcopter just on the table, and that's that. <laughs> so, you know, I was going to find this kid and kind of go through this adventure with him, and we go to his. Uh, uh, Leon cave and it's like yo look at all this this stuff all this crime fighting equipment yo let's let, let's get in his car and he's like I, I don't know how to drive I'm 10 <laughs> you know what I mean so it's like a little humorous thing and it's kind of like a daddy issue single parent you know relationship going right. on but I, you know I thought that was an interesting kernel but I kind of took that later and just kept developing it and developing it into what it is today where uh, the elevator pitch for uh, Leon, which is uh, now a middle grade uh, graphic novel, right. um, is Leon is a sixth grade superhero uh, whose power is common sense. <laughs> God, I wish. Uh, you know what's so funny? You know what's so really funny and sad about that? Yeah. Is that you think that is something that everybody should grasp, but not really people do in reality. Yeah. So it's really. Interesting that that's your choice of power, but it's also sad. It's like you would th- the irony of it is like, really? Don't everybody have no? They don't. They don't. They just don't. <laughs> they really don't. Have yeah. you seen social media? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the last thing that people have these days. And it's like the abyss. Yeah, it's bad out there. <laughs> and um, you know, one of the cool things that I try to bring back into the character design is. Uh, 
uh, is he basically looks like a kid who's playing dress up. Yes. And I wanted to kind of take some of those elements of when you were a kid before you could go to Target and get an Iron Man costume. Like, you make that, it up yourself. Right? Yeah, you make it up yourself. <laughs> we're not from this earth where you could just go get you a Black Widow costume. For that's how dog. you used to do when you're around away. That's See, that's old around away Philly thinking. <laughs> that happened. Yeah, you that's, know. That's like if you're a wrestler fan, you you make cardboard belts. That's oh. the type of thinking that you do. We got to talk, man. I got <laughs> stories. I hear you. <laughs> but yeah, right. So, like, Leon's look is he almost, I, I never said it in a book, but it, he basically has, like, on rubber dishwashing gloves. Like, right. these oversized gloves and a tablecloth around his neck <laughs> and, you know, a utility belt and some goggles. And he's, that's it. Let's go. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do was kind of give back a vibe of, um, imagination and play. And I'm using all my educator words here. Right, right, right. <laughs> or just, you know, kind of like the pu- like the pure essence of what it would be like to be a kid and have these adventures. Right. So that's kind of where I got his look from also. Awesome. So what led you to become an educator as well as focus on a younger demographic? Uh, that's one. Well, that's an easy answer. Really a lot of that came from me growing up in Philly mm-hmm. and not having good outlets yeah. for where I wanted to go with my life. Mm-hmm. Like I always wanted to be a cartoonist. Like if you round up anybody that knew me back when we were kids, they'll go like, Oh yeah, he was always drawn. I'm mm-hmm. not surprised. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I see Jamar. <laughs> be doing this. You know, like you wouldn't be surprised, but you know, nobody really championed that. Cause you know, everybody, when we're kids, everybody drew. Yeah. No, and, me especially. Right before I became a commercial uh, commercial artist. Yeah, you like to use that now. It was yeah, right. It, I, you know, I go retro with it. Yeah, <laughs> but throwback, it, yeah. it was me with before that it was like me with Ninja Turtles or you know Super Mario and all that stuff. Yeah. Or, or later on, it was Jim Lee and yeah. you know yeah. as much people will debate this. Rob Liefeld. It was all that. yo. <laughs> I tell people I was like y'all fraud on Liefeld, but he made money. Yo, in the nineties. You know, that, those books were hot. You don't put him on the Levi's commercial unless he was doing something right. <laughs> yeah, everybody had him, like, don't front. He was you know. EZE approved. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah. Wait, what was our question? <laughs> I knew you was going to get dried on this fight. No, we were talking about you being an educator in a uh, demographic. We should just talk about Philly for an hour. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, oh yeah, so the education, so you know, basically growing up, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that you know, with my mother, with her background, mm-hmm. was able to kind of lead me in better directions than a lot of other kids that I knew. Um, and even then, they people didn't really take art seriously right. to the fact that, especially if you're black and you were a designer yeah. or you were, you know, an artist with some type of uh, 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 skin in the game. Yeah. You know, but she would say things like to like, if you really want to do your cartoons here, give me this. You got to draw. You got to start with the shapes first. You know, she was uh, like, give yes, me, yeah. you know, she was giving me these little like hints mm-hmm. that I would never have gotten in from, you know, any any place else or on the streets. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and um, that kind of put me in a path to feeling like if I ever got one right or if I ever blew up or if I ever got to a place 
where I could give back, I would want to be that person that that kid could look up to and go, oh, this guy does this uh, for a living. I want to do this, too. And, you know, so that's a bridge that I've always tried to keep open in my work. Like I do library visits. I do school appearances. I do that kind of stuff just to, you know, keep the spirit of comics alive in kids. That's fantastic. So thanks. And it's real. <laughs> I guess you could say it was selfish because. You know, I really don't want comics to die, and I know, you know, adult fans of comic books don't really think much about reaching down to the, you know, the younger generations yeah. to pass on the hobby. Right, right. You Especially know, in this day and age, because I mean, the '90s when it when the bubble popped, yeah, with the boom period, and I can I can say I'm unfortunately I'm one of those people who kind of fell off. Yeah. After a certain point, you know, when all the rock stars went to Image and then they just started swerving around everywhere. Yeah. You know, I didn't follow I didn't follow them like the McRib. I just took my ground and just went for another genre and format, but still kind of stayed in within within the game just in case, you know, just keeping up on certain things. Right. But it wasn't it's not the same flair. Like I still got all my stash and everything here uh-huh. and my long boxes and everything. But it's like I, I'm waiting for that time to really jump back on and say, like, this is what it is right now. This is what I'm. I have um, that passion to want to read, and I want to, you know. And I'm waiting for that hot period right now. Well, you know, it's uh, it's funny because we're really in a in an odd golden age of comics. Mm-hmm. There's some amazing stuff on the racks if you can afford it. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, that's a whole other thing too. Yeah, you know, and even just looking at the image of '95 to the image of 2019, <laughs> it's like a totally different company. Oh yeah, it is. And, you know, and I, you know, I think it's, it's it's exciting, especially with, you know, I say a lot. I, I don't like talking about mainstream comic books too much, right. but just like when you talk, I'm sure if you talk to some people about, hey, you know, Marvel was bankrupt like almost 15 years ago, right? You know, and that's where all these properties wound up because they were just trying to keep the lights on, exactly to where we are now but just like when you know Casada came in as the editor at marvel and he started bringing in these indie guys to do books yeah you know like that's where bendis came from and it all these still other- is in a sense i'm if i'm correct right right it's still like that but all of a sudden like the house styles of the 90s and you know the um, little earlier period started to shift and you would see different cartooning styles come yeah. in the door you know, um, like that's back before that when Mignola was doing Marvel books and people were like, yo, what is this? Yeah. You know, we were like, oh, when Hellboy popped, it was like, yo, this guy's amazing. <laughs> you know, but it's just like, you know, we were kind of fed a style and that's what the style was. And once somebody started shaking it up, yeah. it just kind of opened the door to different types of craft. Um, and anyway, what I'm getting at is that comic books are however you want to read them now right which you know what i'm saying which wasn't the case back in the 90s or the 80s right. there was a style to it that you had to uh, uh follow so if you're a fan of bigfoot cartooning i'm sure you'd find a comic yeah. if you're into like hyper realism i'm sure there's a comic you know if you like goofy stuff you know what i mean it's like <laughs> there's a lot of variety out there now. right you know what i mean and i just feel like that's a really cool thing if you're a fan <laughs> of the art form right um so but yeah, I don't know. I can't afford. It. I can't afford to buy comics. It is, and then and even furthermore, there's the streaming networks with comics now, and it's yeah, just it's yeah. getting so oversaturated at this point. Yeah. I, trust me, I, I empathize with that. Oh yeah, you know, and it's 
don't know. There's other things of just being like in the industry where you have to really love something to give it any air, you know. And you know, you'll see a lot of people who have like their top five books because it's yeah. probably the friends are on it, or because <laughs> you know the people are just like taking it back to like the essence of what good comic books are. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't think anybody can afford to hit the store every week. You know, and, and, then, and but also we there's also an air competition with all these other fandoms. You know, yeah, content yeah. just just tons of content. Yeah, to entertain you now. It's 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 they're competing against. They're in an uphill with a lot of different genres now. Right, right. So, oh, and, and you know, just to kind of wrap that thing up. Yeah, is now where do kids fit in any of this? That's a good question. That's a very yeah. good question. Like, where do kids fit? And um, one thing that I've been following for maybe the past 10, 12 years since I started doing graphic novels is the 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 eyes are shifting to graphic novels. And I'm not going to get into the fight about what is a graphic novel, what is a comic book. <laughs> right. You no, know, it's not really about that. It's just that. That's what Wikipedia and Google is for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah you, yeah, you do the math on that. But it's just, you know, that there's this uh, uh, young lady who I'm friends with who's the like the New York Times best-selling author mm-hmm. on the planet but she doesn't do Spider-Man right you know she does a book about getting braces huh. or you know <laughs> you know what I mean or you know being on drama club and things like that right. and, and and it's blowing up the world um, so I think if you aren't feeding kids good graphic content what's going to keep them reading comic books you know just like you said there's so many different things to use your time with you know especially just with ipads and all that kind of stuff i just say if you create a great enough narrative it'll draw somebody in that's true one of the biggest problems i thought that i think what marvel has been going through for the last few years is that their lack of real real uh in-depth narrative in yeah. their storytelling, and that's, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I fell off mm-hmm. of Marvel. I mean, DC's doing pretty good with their with their storytelling yeah. and narrative, but like Marvel, it was like they were trying to do so many things, also trying to do the the cinematic universe and stuff. It just, it just to me, it fell off. To many people, actually, it fell off. So, right. you know, this is why this is why I think indie, you know, uh, indie books are now becoming a more, mm-hmm. you know, popular, you know, part of the sub uh, subgenre of the industry now. Right, right, and that's great for me. Yeah, because, it is. <laughs> well, I mean, I like I don't even really know how to quantify what I do anymore, and as far as the industry is concerned, like I'm really uh, fortunate that I've been able to make a name for myself not doing somebody else's work. Right, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's, sure. I hear you. That's very, it's very rare, and I and I, I'm really cognizant of that. Right. But. You know, once in a while, you know, like you said, like the cream rises to the top or however that <laughs> saying goes. Like like when when Bone came out in the 90s, yeah, you couldn't look away from that. You know what I mean? And that's such a throwback to classic cartooning. Like Jeff Smith's, you know, style is really so limited. iconic, too. The minute you mention right. it, I just that visualized that art style in my head. Right. It just jumps right into your head. It's amazing. Yeah. And, it's you know, very simplistic, too. That's the crazy part about it. And, you know, and uh, uh, Smith is a classic 
cartoonist and he's a student like a lot of his style comes from walt kelly who did pogo back Mm -hmm. in the days and when i'm teaching comic book classes or cartooning classes i bring up that old stuff because that's where like the essence of all this stuff is and you know the dna is in those old strips um but you couldn't deny it and i agree with you you know just having really dope stuff it's always going to stand out but there's so much stuff yeah yeah, it really is so You all right? Let's t- take it back to Keystone <laughs> Comic Con real quick. I mean, right. how I, when I first saw you and the rest of your crew in that panel, it was the jo- uh, just uh, kill the Joker comic uh, comics as catalyst for discussions and ethics on uh, and philosophical thoughts. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a mouthful. It is, but it all makes sense once you understand the, the situation. Right. I love the discussion about moral and ethics. That's one of my. I, I, you know, just if I can have a Socrates Cafe with a group of people yeah. and just talk about some of these things that it really, this is really kind of a, 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 a mind opener for those to understand how the world works and how it should works in a sense, right. You know, based upon certain situations. Mm-hmm. And I was also like, you know, that was the one reason why I wanted to come to the panel. The other reason why is because I was reading the room because I was going to be doing a panel in that same room on the next day. Right. Well, you, you, you're like make, counting the chairs and stuff. No, granted, you, well, granted, <laughs> you got to understand, like, this was the first time I've ever done a pa- panel and Keystone offered me to invited me and offered me to do two of them. Oh, well, one yeah. of which was the big one right next door to that one. Uh, and I was doing an Overwatch panel. Yeah. And I was like, and I looked at him like, that's 300 seats. Do you think this is really going to fill up? And it kind of did. So, that's great. No, congratulations, thanks. man. That's a great feeling. The, yeah. the great feeling was like, I need to just let loose. This was my, this was like my eight mile moment. I need to I need to go in and let it go. Mom spaghetti. Yeah, exactly. No yeah. hurling though. I was all right. I did. All right, you good. Shadow boxing in the mirror. Right? Like, uh. Exactly. You think I didn't have a playlist ready to hype myself up for that one? But, but also, you know, um, I just come out that I really enjoyed your panel. I really loved how the attendees that were there and uh, how they were bringing on some great points yeah. about certain, su- uh, about the subject matter. How mm. did that panel come about? Uh, well, it's, it's funny. Um, comic books is, it's almost like Philly. Philly is a series of neighborhoods mm-hmm. <laughs> and like a lot of the, the personalities in comics are either, uh, you kind of know of other people or, you kind of flip through a mental Rolodex of like, yo, I need this. It's almost like Mission Impossible or the Avengers. <laughs> like, yo, I need Tigra and Black Knight and I need Wasp for this one. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? And uh, the uh, organizer, or the moderator of that panel, John Shableski, um, has a really storied past in comics. He worked for Diamond Distributors for a long time. Right, I and, met him. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and John has an encyclopedic encyclopedic knowledge of the comic book industry from the other side. I'm correct. He's the one that uh, works with Udon Entertainment too. Correct? Yeah, it works. It works for Udon now. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I did have a chance to meet because that was the panel that I was doing the next day was with yeah. the Udon crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of comic book creatives are like icebergs. Like you might just see the the top of them, like some like you know balding guy with glasses in a bad shirt. But underneath the water is just like years and years and years of moving around and knowing people and being in you know the same room with the right people. Right. So, uh, in a long story short, like John reaches out to certain people when there's like educational things. Right. 
going on and then it's in philly and then you know um, maybe there's a little diversity angle in there you know you just keep ticking them off and then i get a phone call (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean so i always appreciate being on things like that i always enjoy panels i know a lot of people that don't like doing panels because it's just oh man my neck gets hot and i'm on the spot and i don't (laughs) i don't know what to say and come on man i just want to go sell some books so you know there's also that and there's not not everybody can do that stuff and i'm not trying to big up myself i'm just saying well you let's put like this you're bigging up me because I've never done it before until that time, and I mm-hmm. honestly, I'm I'm not a, I'm not nowhere in a stretch of introvert by any stretch. So I right. I really enjoyed the opportunity. I already interview people already, like I'm doing with you right now. So yeah. this was kind of a no brainer. And if it came to like having a big crowd, my focus was on my guest. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't look in the lights. Don't just, exactly. Yeah, just look at the people next to you, right? Exactly. Even though well, after a while, I did go kind of Phil Donahue on people. <laughs> you run it into the audience with a mic. <laughs> yeah, no, I literally did. I was like, <laughs> let's just keep this ball rolling. <laughs> no, that's good, and I think that's a that's a a, a, a trait of a good moderator. Like you're actually moderating, mm-hmm. and those you know most of those things. What always bugs me about panels at comic book conventions they're never long enough. Yeah, and, um, that, that like, hour did go really quick. It goes by so fast, and by the time you get through the introductions and where's your website and where can I buy your T-shirt, it's like it's over. <laughs> you you know? got to catch – I literally like – I don't know how I did it, but I managed to get all of it in on time and in place. Like to me, CPT time means corporate people time. So <laughs> I like that. It's like I keep it on point at all times. I and it. I was very happy to know that those panels went out without a hitch. They got out on time, before yeah. time, and and people were left entertained. That's great. That's what it's all about, right? You want to leave you want people to leave the room feeling like they spent their time wisely or they maybe have a new uh kernel of thinking about something in a different way. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about one of my favorite, you know, writers and legendary people to which mm-hmm. you received an award based upon. And that was you are the winner of the Dwayne McDuffie Award of, for Diversity in 2018. Congratulations on that. Oh, first thank of all. you. Thank you. It still kind of blows my mind that I have this statue over there. I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, just I was like, wow. Um what did that stoop this is probably a stupid question in a sense but what did that honor mean to you especially with it being based on one of the legends in comic books mm-hmm. and animated tv writing mm-hmm. well um i mean Dwayne mcduffie meant a lot to me personally mm-hmm. and also like i got to meet him a couple of times i'm not going to say we were buddies or anything but we were friendly you, you got uh, touched by an angel pretty much <laughs> yeah right Innocent. and yeah th- thinking about the rarefied air of just you know you could at the one point count black creators on you know your hands and your feet and that would kind of be it and so much to the point you got to count jack kirby and and stan and stan lee in the sense that's how yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, right. just to add on some more numbers right we gotta just to beef up our side here <laughs> exactly. um so you know i was privileged enough to meet Dwayne a couple of times and interact with him. And, you know, I think I reached out to him just like on some like, yo, how could I be down type of stuff back when I first. Oh, they had a movement too back then. So, you know, <laughs> right. They were comics public enemy. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was, it, it, you know, that was, that was the wave back then. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just seeing what he meant to the industry and the doors that he opened and for the creators that were smart enough to understand that a door was open and to go through it uh just you know 
meant a lot to even where I'm at right now, you know, where if Dwayne's influence hadn't happened in comics and animation and just even in the entertainment industry, I probably wouldn't be in the spot I'm at. Uh, So, you know, being kind of honored with this award with his name on it, just kind of like, you know, it was just like probably the biggest feather I have in any of my hats. Um, And, you know, I kind of stammered through an acceptance speech because I didn't believe I didn't believe it. And uh, just that a name and yeah. the name of you know of it's based yeah. on tied with you. It's surreal. Yeah, yeah, it's great, and I really I appreciate you even bringing this up because um, what I said to uh, uh, Dwayne's uh, widow because hmm. um, she's kind of in charge of the whole you know uh, organization is that whatever you need from me, yeah. let me know. You know, besides like, I'm, you know, this is a big honor, but I don't want to just, you know, take this and run off into the night with it. Right. Let me know how we can do some outreach or if you want Continue me to come. Continue the legacy. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I could, whatever I can do to just be in this air, like I want to represent it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you know, since I, this just happened a year ago and already, um, you know, there's already a 2019 winner. Yeah. And um, I feel like we could even be doing more with this. But, you know, I put that out there and I try not to, you know, blow that horn too much. And that's what I'm go, here for. Don't worry about it. Well, thanks. Man. <laughs> people are like, oh, cool. You know, like, oh, you, you know what I mean? You know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, better late than never. But it, um, McDuffie's work is something that I first of all, back in the 90s, I was in high school. I was one of those. uh those lame brain kids, so to speak, that was only attracted to the visuals and me being an artist, too. I was really attracted to the visuals. I didn't yeah. really have much in a sense of the narrative portion of it until later when I watched like Justice League Unlimited and found out that he was responsible for what I used to call one of the greatest animated TV shows of all time. And when I start, I, I mean, it was the, the 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 storytelling and the dialogue and everything about it was so deep for its time. Mm-hmm. It was prime time that they were playing this too, and mm-hmm. some of the subject matter, and it was like, wow. Mm-hmm. And it just it just struck me like, who's writing this? And I, that's when I found out it was him. And and then I started researching for. I'm like, oh god, he's the one who's responsible for this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. was like I was like, you know what? I feel bad, but I don't because at least I do now still have right. respect. And it allowed me to really understand and respect storytelling and writing yeah. of comic yeah. books. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. I I had uh, Jeffrey Thorne mm-hmm. on a show like three times already because he was the showrunner for Black Panther's Quest yeah. a while back. And he also did some other things for Marvel uh, as well. And, you know, we talked about um, McDuffie and his work and, you know, how much of an influence he's been. I mean, I, I, and, I and I like Jeff Thorne's uh, writing as well. I mm-hmm. mean, anybody who could make something out of Solo from Marvel. <laughs> I love Solo. I love him now because <laughs> oh, Solo yeah. in the 90s was a dork. <laughs> but Jeff, after reading Jeff's version, uh-huh. I totally loved the direction that they put on him, and I wish they would have did more with him. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was awesome. I thought this could have been like could have been transitioned into a TV show. Wow, that type uh, of situation. Yeah I, yeah, I could see that happening. It, just the way the, the character, the, the character development in there was really well done in there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's really awesome. And again, let's just go back to the fact of you being an educator here. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an educator, 
Do you find yourself harder to encourage kids in our community, especially when a lot of the situations that we deal with, uh, not only just within our culture, but everything that's going on in this country today? How does how do you go about that? Um, I said a mouthful right there. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's a really strong. It's a really strong question. Yeah. Um, I think what I've done in the classroom, and just to kind of uh, open this up a little bit. Uh, generally, what I do is why well, I teach um, writing for comics at Drexel. Okay. And that's kind of like my adjunct gig, and I've spent a lot of time doing youth. Uh, classes i've taught at more college of art for a really oh, long time awesome. i used to do the young artist workshop and the saturday things and that you know all that stuff the summer right, programs right. and you know i've taught kids from fourth grade up to high school and i do college and when i'm dealing with kids probably like you know school age uh they're coming into the classroom with a lot of a lot of heavy weight on their shoulders yeah and, you know, it's really important to me that if they can even escape their environment long enough to sit down and want to draw something, that always that feels like that might be my opening to try Absolutely. to, you know, show them that there's other things out there. Um, so beyond just the cartooning and, you know, the storytelling, it's kind of like uh, this might be this might sound kind of nerdy, but. I really want to try to show them that they can express themselves through their stories, you know, um, rather than drawing, you know, Wolverine cutting somebody in half. Like, tell me about what happened to you last week when you went home. Right. You know what I mean? And it can be cathartic if you take it that way. But, you know, I'm a big fan of journal comics. Yeah. And uh, there are a couple of kind of names in the industry who just do journal, comic journaling and things like that. And, you know, depending on how you feel about people like R. Crumb and those kind mm-hmm. of cats in 2019, like, you know, just the idea that you can uh, ex- expose your soul on paper is a really powerful tool. And a lot of people can't do that. Right. You know, just thinking about self-censoring yourself, like, you know, can you do you have a sketchbook full of naked women? Right that you drew you know do you show that to anybody mm-hmm. you know we all have hang-ups as as creatives um you know but just trying to unlock that early in kids i think is really powerful so i try to reach them on that on that on that wavelength right fantastic so can you talk about the points of inspiration that you you know use to when educating and encouraging uh you know kids uh, sure, kind of like people I show them. Not exactly like a syllabus, pretty much, but like just the, you know, the 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 main bullet points of like which you try to focus on to, you know, try to engage with them, mm. or, or get them to understand and open up, and you know, to be able to to keep positive. Um, sure. Well, a, a big part of what I do, and. Uh, I'll be transparent. I haven't taught kids in a while, but I'm still still in contact with different age groups Um, is kind of coming to the coming from the beginning of the art form. Right. Back to yellow journalism and the yellow kid and uh, crazy cat and Ignatz and uh, little Nemo slumberland. Like I Mm -hmm. used to bring a little Nemo. Uh, those really big oversized books with the with the newspaper strips in it, right? And now it just blow the kids away just from a just from an artistic standpoint. You know, like wow, what is this? Like, no, this was the paper 
and each strip got its own page in the newspaper back then and right. just you know just it's almost about thinking about expanding your universe and like what can you do if you had a whole page to yourself and then kind of like coming from the the macro into the micro just kind of like a uh, I'm a big fan of uh, comics as a directorial tool. I talk about the power of controlling time, right, through a, a comic book page and how the gu- the gutters in between the panels show the passing of time. But that's up to you ha- to what you show. Right. There's a lo- there's a lot of power there if you want to use it. Um, and, you know, you can control people's emotion with your stories. Like, do you want somebody to laugh? Do you want to make them sad? Right. You can do all that in a comic. And, you know, they, you know, some kids may not have any type of control over their lives at home, but some of that they can control on the page, you know. So rather than, again, looking for just a general escape uh, and you know, drawing SpongeBob on a piece of paper for forty <laughs> minutes, like you know, let's see what we can do with this with this storytelling form. So that's what I try to do with little kids. Oh, also, I show them Astro Boy because Astro, <laughs> Astro Boy is dope. One of my favorite things was I, I think one of the comic shops I went to was trying to throw away the Dark Horse manga reprints of Astro Boy. Oh, there was wow. like. There were like 30 volumes of it. And I was like, yourself a comic book store. <laughs> they just needed room. Like this is like, this is like that weird period when manga wasn't really hitting right. yet. Remember that? And you know, you just had to be some sort of like otaku nerd to know about Astro Boy like that. Oh, well, and, yeah, uh, well especially considering that's like kind of the Genesis. Yes. In a sense of all of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's like, if you want to boil it all down, you get it starts somebody. with him. You give somebody Astro Boy, mm-hmm. and I remember there was this little girl in my class who wasn't she wasn't feeling anything. She didn't want to draw. She just sat there with her hand in her face, just like pouting. And I was like, "Yo, read this and take it. No, take it home. Just bring it back when you're done." And like the next day, she came back. She's like, "Do you have any more of them?" <laughs> you know, like those are some great teaching moments. Like when just the light bulb comes on, right? You know, just because like this is like pure storytelling right here you know like you feel so bad for the robots and what about robots rights and all that (laughs) weird stuff that was going on in astro boy um you you know what i like about the way that you teach and i I have other i have i have some friends who also are educators as well but some of them use comic books to express you know to or even for to open up the broad and broaden the imagination and concept and logic of people you know, of the, of the people that they teach, of the kids yeah. that they teach. I yeah. think it's a method that I think people should really, like, it just, you know, school districts should really, really think about using more often because mm-hmm. not everybody can learn the same way. That's really so, true. Some people are kinesthetic. Some mm-hmm. people just, you know, are, are, you know, very studious and can, you know, read a book and check it out. Some people are just, you know, can, you know, listen to every word you say and, and, and naturally gifted towards that. You know, there's right. different ways of teaching. Right. I think that's just another way that people figured out how, you know, you do it. And I don't think we should always keep with the traditional structure of things. Right, right. Uh, and that's a, a really great note to point out that uh, my last graphic novel before Leon, Fistic Knife Gun, yeah. has – like that book came out. It's going to be 10 years next year wow. that, that book uh, was published. Um, 
And I keep running into people that have been reading that in their high school classrooms. Like it's a, it's a, it's, what do you call it? It's like a text now, <laughs> Nice, you know, and I hear about like, Oh wait, you drew that. Yeah. Oh, I had to read that in my social justice class and wow. And my freshman year of college, you know, and it's crazy, but you know, just talking about using like the power narrative. Oh, sorry. That was my, uh, that was my clock. <laughs> my <laughs> clock, my clock says, says the time, the hour in Japanese. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, just the fact that, you know, you take a, a book about some kid growing up in the South Bronx in the 50s and you make it relatable to now and show kind of like uh, empathy. That's right. a big thing with me. Like I want somebody who is white and is from upstate New York. If I put that book in their hands, they'll feel something. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and uh, find out that something that I did like that is still kind of making the rounds and changing lives. I mean, that's the power of graphic novels to me right there. Some things are best uh, understood through visual. Yeah, that's just that's just my that's my belief about it. Yeah, I, I want to ask you about this. Mm. Because I talked once again, I talked about this with uh, other people within our culture. Uh, I talked about this with with, um, with uh, Jeffrey Thorne as well. We grew up. We all, I think, our demographic, our particular demographic, mine's yours. We grew up in the seventies, eighties uh, realm yeah. of yeah. things. Mm-hmm. When we grew up, the term nerd stood for anybody that was socially, he like. That, that that was without you know social awareness, right? You know, didn't understand the boundaries of things, and yeah. was just so in in depth to whatever it is that they were into that normal society was not. Right, it didn't matter what color you were. Right. So by by saying that, what is your take on the blurred subculture? Oh man, you're gonna get me in trouble. No, we're all gonna get in trouble, <laughs> and I don't care about this one. But let's roll with this. Let's get down on this. All right, so we're going to be like Isaac Hayes, and I forgot what's the other one from. Uh, I'm going to get you, sucker. <laughs> oh, sorry. It was it Jim Brown? Right? Yeah, Jim Brown. Just make sure we don't trip on any bullets. We'll be fine. We'll be able to fight this back. But I need to. I want to know your take on uh, the blurred culture. All right, so coming from that place that you were just talking about, like I, rem- I remember back in the '80s when the Burger King had the where's the fine herb? Yes. Uh, Contest and that's where that word came from. Like, yo, that dude's a herb. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Um, it wasn't cool to be a, a nerd no. at all, you know. Uh, and I'm I'm going to get to your point. I just got to I got to cook okay. this. You know, I I can't really say what I was. I knew I was a little bit of an introvert. I didn't like people. I didn't like other kids. Uh, I didn't like the opportunistic qualities that young people have right especially boys right. there's nothing more conniving than a 16 year old boy <laughs> he's going to get over on you in any way he can see i would agree with that <laughs> uh, that's, that's real talk like that's we're, real, all, that's we're all 16 at some point yes um but i had th- i had some things that i did which basically kept me from getting poked with a screwdriver on the subway mm-hmm. like i played dungeons and dragons when i was in sixth grade right and i didn't talk about it because that's some nerd shit i'm sorry right. i don't know if you can no, no, you're good you're good you know what i mean like and there were just things you just kept to yourself because you knew you were just going to get clowned for it right to where we are now where it's like 
uh, you know, everybody's trying to claim their set now, right? Yeah, I was into Star Trek. I was into this. I was into that. That's cool. Um, I kind of I take umbrage with the term black nerd, though. Please explain. <sighs> and my issue is, and Lord knows I know a lot of blurs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been on blurred panels. Like, I get it. And I'm not going to fight over the term. But I think it, there's it's kind of i think it limits us again like yo nerds are right nerds are white people but i like white stuff and i'm black so that makes me a black nerd right you know which also like i just read this really interesting article about just because you're a person of color who likes geeky stuff doesn't mean you want to be white or you're trying to act white. And I thought that was a really interesting article. Um, it didn't really go anywhere, so I didn't share it with anybody. <laughs> I read it and put it, put it away. Right, right. But, but it makes a lot of sense. Like, I remember when I was uh, in college, I went to UArts here in Philly. And, you know, I mainly grew up around, like, urban black girls. Yeah. Right? You can, that is what it is. And I remember meeting this girl who was not from here. And she was in the Guns N' Roses and she wore Chuck Taylors. Right. And she had like wild hair and the other black girls did not know what Sounds to do like with her. Sounds like very West Coast. Right. Yeah. I think she was from I think she was from L.A. or something. Yeah. Because look, even to yeah. this day, the West Coast mm-hmm. and the East Coast are two different dimensions. Yeah. yeah. Especially as just far as, as, as community is like who they date, who they deal with, you know, stuff like that. It, it's I mean, there's still, you know universal racism all over but right. there's just some communities that assimilate a little bit better than others yeah yeah and like i remember i didn't know what to do with this person uh-huh. then like i just thought she was kind of odd but cool right, right 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 and what i found really cool about her was that she totally owned her identity right and i think that's something that a lot of us as people of color especially coming up in a place where you got to hide your true self just to survive yeah have a tr- have a problem with and i think it's you know it's getting better as the the decades roll on and people are more comfortable in their skin or they're proud to be you know like wave their flag or whatever well that, look at it look at it now the, 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 the whole the whole trend nerd you know definition is now trendy right right yeah which like, is crazy Geek culture is pop culture now. Yeah, exactly. It's flipped, right? Um, but I don't, you know, and I'm all about people kind of claiming, you know, whatever they're into or their, you know, their love. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I don't, I, I just can't get down with the blurred thing, you know? Like, I don't, I'm not like knocking anybody for it, but like, I've never said it. I'm saying, like, I've never said, yeah, I'm a blurred. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm going. Well, one, it I, this is clearly a generational thing. Yeah, it's totally a generational. Two, thing. it's a generational thing that's trying to be extra for the sake of being extra. It's it's like we don't for a for a for a community and culture or a subculture that one that doesn't want to be labeled. We're sure finding a, a lot of labels. Right. <laughs> when I first yeah. heard of the term of mm-hmm. this somewhat subculture. And I saw it. It was very transparent to me. I saw it for what it was, and I was like, "Why?" When mm-hmm. when the term "nerd," in my understanding, back in the eighties and even in the nineties, "nerd" was universal. Right. It was like whoever just stood out of the popular crowd. Right. And that little bit of that demo, that little demographic of nerds, 
were never racist to one, towards one another. They had no. something in common. Right. There was no need to separate them. And now I'm hearing about this blurred thing. Not that it's, it's already been established, but it's just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a way of, like, I, I, to me, I, I, I'm trying to articulate the way that I can say it without insulting anybody. But right. it, it, to me, it's just it's a it's a facade. Mm. Of something that we don't need, it's 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 separating, it's it's isolating us more mm-hmm. than we need to. We need less mm-hmm. isolation in, mm-hmm. in within our community and just in general. And that mm-hmm. just having that to me, it's to me, it's dangerous mm. in some wow. cases to even have that. Well, you know, I I kind of boil it all down to being yourself is probably the most powerful thing you could do. Absolutely. Right? And I, you know, uh, more strength and hearts <laughs> and, and good energy vibrations and waves to anybody who can find the courage to walk out of their house and be proud of who they are. Absolutely, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know how people always try to you know this the, the health trend, mm. where it's like. You want to go on an Atkins diet. You want to do the uh, what is it? The, the keto. Or the whatever. keto, exactly. The keto yeah. diet. When all you have to do is just a push up, <laughs> or just yeah, or a talk- jumping jack. I don't know, man. I can't say too much. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the. I mean, it is what it is, but it's like it's <laughs> right. just the bare basics. Right. You know, you're you're trying to just make things a little bit more exciting in your life, or you're trying to make right. yourself feel more important by labeling yourself or you rep- representing yourself in a certain way. Hell. Isn't being black just enough? <laughs> that, that should be the title of this. <laughs> exactly. So, but also, but just you know, think about the power of finding your tribe, right? Right. Um, you know, uh, when you find those other kids in your school that really like Bleach, right? Or Naruto reruns, or whatever, and you know, you just kind of can geek out with these people, right? Um, how important that is to you, you know, finding your community. And I can I kind of understand how these things kind of percolate, especially on a comic book convention floor, yeah. right? There's only so many of us, but hey, we're all wearing Naruto wigs. Yeah, I'm just right, beating right. on Naruto, but you know, it's, it's, you know, that's not necessarily it. And find, you <laughs> just know, a, find, just an example. Right, and finding a tribe inside of a sub-niche I think it still ha- you know, has some merit. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I just, you know. I just I, think it's just doing know. too much when you don't have to do it at all. And it's just like, just be a fan. Be mm. a fan of what, of, you know, this is why, like, when I created this brand called ACMG, uh, which created this podcast in a sense, the idea was for everybody to enjoy all things anime, comics, movies, and games. Gotcha. But under- and still feeling proud of who you are. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the original philosophy of what Dr. King wanted us to be. Mm-hmm. As much as I could try to make it. Right. And I feel like, you know, when it comes to the blurred thing, it's it, it's it's this mindset that I always say is like, people say Dr. King, but their minds say early Malcolm Little. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the, the, the ideology and the philosophy just goes completely convoluted and it ends up having us doing, you know, stupid stuff like this. And I don't want to say it's stupid because there is a positive, sort of a positive direction that they want to go. But I think they just feel like they're going the wrong way about it. Mm. So what do you, do you have any solutions? 
that's the thing. It's like, I, I one just, it just you know, be one with everybody who are fans. Everybody, the one thing that we all have in common, and I have a Facebook group that has over two thousand people in mm-hmm. here, and they're all different colors, ethnicities, yeah, you know, orientations, if you will, yeah, right. And but the one thing we have in common, our bloodstream bleeds with fandom for all of the same things. Sure. And no matter what you could, I don't, and I never understood what the difference of opinion that a blurter would have to everybody else in society. Right. If I understood that, maybe that would probably support it more mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. sense. But I just, I'm like, what is the difference between the philosophy of you loving Naruto as opposed to everybody else in other cultures loving Naruto? Right, right, right. Why has it got to be so like, like? line in the sand right yeah exactly so it's like if you don't have to and i know there's times when we have to represent us we have right. to show our strength we have to show our power right we pick our battles <laughs> that's super true yeah you have to we right? have to pick our battles and that's not one of the battles i think we should pick well do you think that's another part of being maybe young or being in a place where you know you're still trying to find your voice i was about to say that yes i yes i believe it is and is that's pretty much what it comes down to and sometimes you might just have to let them let them figure it out for themselves right. maybe that's the answer and look at and look from the back and just in case something jumps off and goes down right and when the time comes then you step in but it's like all right let them be them right and, and let if, them figure it out for themselves they're you know they're just 16 17 18 right, right. now right. when they get to the college level that's when it's like what the hell were you thinking Hey man, I don't know. I knew a lot of black kids that had those rayon shirts with spawn all over it in the nineties. That happened. We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) See, it struck a nerve. But you know what I'm saying. With your rayon silk, or maybe even denim. Maybe even denim. (laughs) That's great. So I wanted. I got uh, just. A couple more questions, but I definitely want to thank you for being on this show. I'm really enjoying the conversation with you. This is absolutely awesome. (laughs) So as far as comic books go in the stage of this industry, we kind of briefly talked about it and touched on it. Uh, Do you believe that we are finally we finally have a grasp on representation, especially within the mainstream uh, publishers like Marvel, DC, Image and even the indies? Where do you think that we stand now as far as uh, total representation? I, I feel like it's getting there, but I, I don't know if we're there yet. Here's, you know, uh, uh, my answer to that is going to be: I think we're as close as we've been uh-huh. in decades. And that sounds kind of backwards to say, well, of course it was worse then, back then. But uh, my quick little sidebar is: I know some white people who love Luke Cage, right. right? But they hated that Netflix show. <laughs> and you know why they didn't like it is because it wasn't their Luke Cage. It wasn't the Jive Turkey. Too. It wasn't the Jive Turkey <laughs> yellow, you know, chain on, on chain belt Luke right. Cage, you know, who strutted down the street. Despite the said, fact knowing that he, he eventually changed his wardrobe later on. Right. <laughs> right. Like, where's my money, honey? <laughs> 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 Which is kind of funny, yeah. Yeah. but that's the Luke Cage they like, and it, what's scary about that is, you know, like I've, I've met some interesting white people who love black exploitation, yeah, 
but you know, like I I got into some serious arguments over that whole thing. Kind of respectfully so, but <laughs> right. And so, but now, like we're back here again, where I think this is probably the strongest period where we've seen just varying and mostly positive representations and inclusion and all those yeah. things, even in LGBTQ and. You know, all these other kind of avenues are all kind of funneling into pop culture, right? Yeah. Which should be great. It's great. I think it's always worrisome when you have the other who think it's a gimmick, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, the fact that there's even a book with black women in it on a comic book shelf is what do they call it? Like the uh, virtue signaling and all that. Right, kind of right, stuff. right. You know what I mean? And it's just it's a very tiresome conversation to have because you know there's some people that just can't they can't deal with it, mm-hmm. right? They can't deal with diversity. They can't deal with inclusion. They can't deal with why is this character black when he used to be white? Yeah. You know, we could we could spend an hour talking about that, especially but the I, recent news that I'm sure you've known about with uh, X Men possibilities. Oh yeah, that's the new thing where they're saying like <laughs> in the MCU, like it may like Denzel might be Magneto or something. Right, right. I think this they're just trolling us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's always it's this weird two sides of the of 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 the street here where if you said that to some people outside, you'd be like, Oh yeah, Denzel, get it. Get your, <laughs> get the bag, Denzel. And then you have other people like, what? No, that, no, what, you know, and want to really explain it down. Right. And, you know, I have some very unpopular things to say, like at the end of the day, it's, I don't want to say it's just comics, but it's all made up. Right. And, and you so, know what? No, I, I agree. I think that's something because, you read you read threads all the time on social yeah, media. They take it so freaking far. Like the fate of their life depends on what these writers do, and they also yeah. forget that they're writers and they can write whatever the hell they want. Right? Like they think it's the Bible. They yeah. really think it's the gospel. And I was I was at the uh, Black Comic Book Festival in Harlem a couple of years ago, and this mm-hmm. is right before uh, Black Panther came out. Right. And you know everybody was hot about Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther, right. Black Panther. You know they're making a movie about Black Panther, and I was like, Yo, real rap. I don't think half you cats have ever read a Black Panther, comic <laughs> book, but I'm, you know it's not. That's not my. That's here nor there. To, I'm just like, yeah, it's either here nor there. I'm just saying. <laughs> But, you know, I kind of took a lot of people's excitement as this is something that's never happened before without having the context of, you know, decades of comic book history. But somebody stood – I was on a panel and somebody stood up and was like, yo, yo, how y'all feel about Black Panther? And everybody was like, all right. You know, there was some high-fiving in the audience (laughs) and all of that. And, you know, I was – and I even said this in our panel at the Keystone. I always – sometimes I'll kind of go left when everybody's going right. Right. And I said, love Black Panther. Nobody on this stage owns Black Panther. Disney owns Black Panther. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy that there's a black movie with black people in it with black clothes and black jets. Directed by a black man. Right. By black. It was black. Go black. All black. Uh, Wakanda forever. But, you know, right outside the door where we're having this this conversation is an a lobby filled with black comic book creators who created their own work that right. they would love to sell you. 
Right. Why don't you go visit them? You know what I mean? Right. So, and I got a couple claps and people were kind of like, yo, who's this bougie dude? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, it, it stands to reason that we're kind of fighting ourselves right. a lot of times. Like there's a black movement going through comics with indie creators putting out amazing work right now. Um, and I know there's people that still come to say black comic book festivals and things like that. Cause they're looking for black Panther books right. and you have to educate a lot of people on just what's out there and what your choices are. So, you know, when you take something like, you know, miles Morales or something, which spider verse was dope. It's probably the best thing I've seen in a long time. Right. I yeah. love spider verse. Oh, it's just a work of art. Yeah, it was beautiful, and I love how they've kind of crafted this new narrative into the Spider-Man lore. And mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a big Spider-Man dude. That's my guy. Same here, <laughs> right? I'm a Spider-Man guy. That's just it. Um, and I love that we can have these conversations now, but it doesn't move my needle to say that Spider-Man is black. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think if I was a little kid, you know, it was different. We're from a different time because things were just what they were. When we were kids and it wasn't like this kind of fight or like this yelling into the wind about what you think things should be because you just used your imagination and it was what you made it. Right. You know, and I think that coming back to Leon is kind of where I'm going with that. It's like we had to use our imaginations to fill in the blanks on really bad Spider-Man TV shows. (laughs) You know, like it's almost there, but it's not there. But on top of all that, we were just happy that it was on TV. Yeah. Didn't expect him to be black because, you know, I mean, that's like too much of an ass. Well, people don't understand, too, because (laughs) we we lived in we lived in an era where we were filled with self-fulfilling prophecies of a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we put it upon ourselves and then there was other people that put it on us as well. And I remember there was an era late eighties, nineties, where there was a TV show where a man was a doctor. The wife was a lawyer and in the streets, people were like, as successful as it was, people in the streets were like, yo, that can't really happen. Yo, that's and, real talk, man. And yeah. I, it, I'm, let me tell you, Jamal. Yeah. I that mm-hmm. to this day, regardless mm-hmm. of all the situations of that particular show, was talked about. That <laughs> has pissed me off so much. Hearing people say that, yeah, it yeah. angered me. Even at that young age, it angered me. Been like, why can't this be true? Why is this? I don't understand. And you know, upon late, years later, growing up and taking psychology and sociology, I'm like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I get, I get it now. I, I get it now. This is but a yeah. chain reaction of um, uh, ideology yeah. here. But yeah, that was a huge thing. I remember that. You know, Thursdays at eight o'clock, it was on, but people still kind of had a lot to say about how fake it was. Well, we were hot on it at the first season or so, like that. But then, as time goes by, when things were getting so good and so successful, that's when our mindsets are programmed to be like, no, we can't accept success of this magnitude. That's deep. That's that deep. is that's that's, that's it, deep. It, it's it's deep, but it's also sadly real, and it's scary, and it's angering. It's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of emotions when you really when you take the red pill and you realize everything that's going on, and yeah. why are we thinking this way, and why is this happening, and why is this so programmed to us? It angers me, it upsets me, it almost makes me cry at times just thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, no, that's a real thing. And oh, here comes my cat. <laughs> um hey, i'm a cat owner too i get it <laughs> yeah and when the dog shows up it's going to be a war in here uh, um 
but yeah, I mean, that's just a real fight that I want to feel like we've gotten better at over the decades, but I just think we just changed the, we just changed the narrative and keep having the same arguments, you know? Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm hate, I'm tired of the recycling. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. an infinite loop and uh, we need to cut that loop. Yeah. And, you know, to, or even just kind of talking about black stuff as it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm, well aware of kind of like the buying and spending habits of a lot of our people. And just because I'm set up at a comic book show doesn't mean this black smiling family is going to come to my table and buy my book. Right. Because, you know, they're there for what's hot on TV right now. You know what I mean? That's just how it is. Um, But, you know, you want to think that there'd be some space for everybody to thrive now. And I think there is, you know, like I've done really well with Leon and, you know, just getting a, a different message out there, I think is great. But I think we, we could have a little bit more awareness of things that are outside of the mainstream. Yeah. My, my thing too, is just like, yeah, represent a strong, but also realize that there are other people out there. Yeah recognize that there are other cultures that also have representation too and once we figure out each other's own strength that's when we need to come together but i feel like there's always this fight this imbalancing scale that's trying to make instead of recognizing each other's power it is like trying to uh you know see who's more superior right in a sense and to me that's where it's like that's where we're getting it wrong right right that's that's where we need more work. <laughs> we need. We had a lot of work to do. We I really keep saying did. we need a. We, I don't understand why we don't. Why don't we have a summit yet? Because <laughs> I don't know. I'll talk to you off camera. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so my final question to you, yeah. and and just kind of almost segueing off, where do you see the comic book industry, both mainstream and indie, going in the next few years? That's scary. I mean, I, I mean, is there any possible? Let me let me add on to that. Is there any possible way of seeing a boom, another boom period, possibly coming? I think I'm I'm really interested in this new streaming war, which is going to be the big talk for the, probably the next ten years, right? I'll streaming say ser- ten. <laughs> I'm I already tired of it now. Streaming services. I, I did the and- math. A while ago. I'm tired of it now. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, the war for eyeballs is going to be really big. And I think if comics are going to thrive, it may just be IP mining, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, we're going to just, you know, go through the fields and just pick this corn (laughs) and turn it into something else. And, you know, as a creator, that sounds great i've gotten a really weird arguments with people over like like i said it at one of the panels i was at at keystones yeah um i love comics i love movies i think if we can find a place where we stop worshiping and fetishizing moving pictures as the ultimate form of entertainment right then books will thrive but when you have people come up to your table where you sell comic books and go, yo, when's a cartoon coming out? <laughs> right. Right. Yo, they're going to make a movie out of this. Right. It's like, but you have the book right in your head. <laughs> right. Um, like if we could get past that, I think comics would be in a good place, but I, I can't guarantee that. I, I used to, I had the fear maybe before this whole MCU stuff happened that, 
um, there could be a point where they don't really need to make comic books anymore when you have I'm, I'm, I'm really afraid of that right because like what's what's the 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 return on investment for uh, uh, who owns DC now Warner uh, Warner yes Time Warner AOL Time Warner yes. I don't know it changes every five days <laughs> so you know like Warner all of the, or something like that now yeah like all of those like services or netflix or like flash season seven yeah like who needs a flash comic book right right you know if the only thing that's going to keep them alive is just to keep the intellectual property from expiring right you know what i mean here's my situation though because this is a discussion i've been i'm probably going to have later on uh and another uh podcast soon yeah and that is basically if you notice, let's take Marvel for instance. Every majority of their storylines that they use for the cinematic universe is based on the '90s uh, popularity. Yeah, only rare amounts of it. I think Civil War is the only modern recent right. story that they used that mm-hmm. made any money for Marvel mm-hmm. in the modern day. Everything yeah. else was the '90s. So yeah. once all those '90s situations get out of the way, they're gonna have to farm some more for some more ideas again right we're right. gonna have to get back into the because once this i mean we're at the no no pun we're literally at the end game of it all so where are they getting the ideas from <laughs> i see what you did there <laughs> where right. are we getting the ideas from because like i can't it, it better not be from uh like original sin or anything because that sucked <laughs> it better well, not it better not be from like um uh the one where all the um the hammer. Everybody had a uh, Asgardian hammer. I forgot the uh, name of it. Right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that one. That was not a good story. Like, where are we getting our stories from now? So they're going to have to start really working hard to come up with better stories. Well, I mean, you have a whole industry full of writers who know how to write that stuff. Hire them to write. Yeah. You know, but I know that's a whole industry issue. Yeah. Right. Like, I was just reading something where somebody was talking about the fact that. A comic strip writer can't write a screenplay, but yeah. they hire screenwriters to write comic books. J.J. Abrams' Spider-Man just came out this week. Yeah, I, I actually read about that in an article and then what he did with that. Right. I'm and really th- looking. I'm actually going to – I'm interested in checking that out. Have you read it yet? No. I mean, but I'm interested, but then I'm mad that I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it's just like another another writer who's getting pushed to the side. Yeah. Because, well, a writer that's yeah, because he's already an established guy. Uh, or even like Tanahasi Coates writing Black Panther. No knock. I, you know, I think that stuff's great. Yeah. But, you know, if we're like jump, we're, we're leapfrogging over people who do this for a living already. Yeah. To kind of celebrate celebrity. That's, right? that's, that's corporate for you, man. I yeah, mean, you got to remember, they 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 only care about money. That is, if anything, that Sony has proven to us right now is that yeah. they they are they are all about money and, and ego. And the, look, think about it. Um, just a few a couple years ago, CM Punk wrote a damn comic book for Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Raven wrote one a long time ago. If you remember, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. There you go. I mean, like this. That's a that's a if that's trendy. I don't know what is. Yeah, I didn't read it though, but you know, I, I was a big CM Punk fan, but I didn't read it. As am I, but I was like, okay, now he's just now he's just doing whatever. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of take that if, you know, you were this big celebrity Hollywood whatever and someone was like, hey, do you want to do a passion project? You okay. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. would, I mean, honestly, if you were, if she was any other foot, you wouldn't pass it off. Right. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd buy it. I don't it. expect him to be the next Kevin Smith <laughs> or anything like Who that. Who can be the next Kevin <laughs> yeah, exactly. Smith? Exactly. <laughs> so, but I, I don't even know if I answered your original question about. Well, you, no, you kind of did. It's like basically you said that, you know, you're not really sure, but you're hoping, but it, it's un- it's really unsure. Yeah. So, I mean, going back to my kids thing is we need to do a better job of making sure kids are, can get comic books. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like the more we focus on the Disney streaming or the next wave of Marvel movies and all the other kind of stuff, what's even the point of going to a comic book store? Yeah, you know what I mean, and that's on us. You know, and it's so. scaring me now because I mean, you're from Philly, you know. I mean, we don't have a Green Onion anymore. Oh, uh, Fat, Fat, Fat Jacks is barely surviving. Are they still around? Yeah, they're they yeah, they're so they did it. survive. Thank goodness. Yeah, we got Amalgam. I mean, like, and Brave New Worlds, and, and Brave New World, of course. Yeah, and Atomic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, yeah, we got all of them. Shout mm-hmm. out to South Philly, <laughs> and I mean South Street at that, but mm-hmm. um. Yeah, it's just I mean, believe it or not, Atomic Comics forgot. I used to work in South Street when Pearl Arts and Craft was around. Yeah, I used to steal out of it. I used to be this. I used to be the supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm stop lying. I used to steal out of Pearl, but I we wanted... had stories. We had. Yeah, there's, I'm sure, dude. When look, I got plenty of stories I can really tell you about <laughs> Pearl Arts and Craft. Like when when the FBI comes to visit you every year, that's something, something right there. But. <laughs> It's, no, or, no, I believe you. It's is it, that that was a very interesting time for me, but I love South. I love what South Street used to be. Yeah, and I'm glad to see at least that Atomic Comics is one of the last, mm-hmm. longest residing established businesses in that area. Bar none. That's not a food place. Yeah, when Zipperhead closed, I was like, yo, <sighs> yeah. So, I tell you, to to the old to the old age. Yeah, cheers. I, I don't have anything to drink. I, I'm there with you. I got a I got a uh, I got a visible uh, goblet. There you, go, there you go. All right. But um, what's next for you? What you got going on right now? Are you uh, are you touring around? Are you heading around? What are you doing? Uh, so um, on my table is I'm working on the next Leon book. Oh. Yeah, I'm working on a prequel book uh, where I. Am trying to get it prepped uh, to ship around to some of the New York publishers. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to land a publishing house for nice. my next for my next round of books. Um, and then, as far as conventions are concerned, October is going to be crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm a guest at New York Comic Con. Yeah, you know, you almost would have saw me there too, but I got commitments, so I can't be there. Uh, but I am I am absolutely I told him because they just contacted me today, believe it or not, about um, doing two panels there. Oh, and cool. I was like, oh, OK, there did that just told me how good I was. <laughs> but yeah, made an impression. Yeah, I, I'm really no, I'm, I'm very honored by the, by them even reaching out and giving me these opportunities. Trust me when I tell you, I've been working my ass off for years to get. Yeah, to this no, point. that's great, man. But um, yeah, I've, I got commitments that me and my wife are going to be doing throughout the whole entire, you know, October. But I. Absolutely in block for 2020. That's guaranteed. So right. That, that's what's up. I will definitely see you there. And uh, not only that, we will definitely keep in touch because I have had a great time. I, I, as a person who is an advocate of education, 
I applaud you for everything that you're doing out there. Thank you so much. You are a true superhero, even without the ability to express it visually. Oh, thank you. In my opinion. And, uh, man, keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Oh, you know, I have a plug. I have one plug. Oh, I was going to let you get in your plugs. Don't think. Don't get that oh, shit. no. I thought you were going to cut me off. Don't no, cut I'm like, see Chris out. No, yeah. <laughs> no uh, but, um, absolutely. Go ahead and let us know where we can find you as well as what you got going on next. Okay, so after New York Comic Con, then I will be. I can't. I keep messing this up. I have a bunch of shows. I uh, will be at Baltimore Comic Con a little later in the month. I'm going to be at this new show called the Comic Con for Kids oh. outside Philly at the Greater Oaks Convention Center. Have you ever been to that? I have spot? not. It's a very odd place. It's like kind of like the restaurant at the end of the universe, <laughs> place. but uh, it's a really good venue, uh, which is going to be a completely kids centric comic book convention that's really cool uh and then i'll be back in new york at the end of the month for diversity con which is going to be at fit's campus in, in new york wow um yeah so that's that but uh, what i wanted to say real quick before we hung up is that i just started a patreon last ah. night this night so i'm very excited about that and i'm trying to get the word out Absolutely. I'll be more than happy to spread it out as well. So just make sure you give me all your information. I'll have that spread out on, on our posts and everything when we got out there. So I got you. I will. Thank you. So now, Jamar, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor to have you on. And again, thank you for all the work that you've been doing and trying to get that word out and, and inspiring, you know, to you. Because, yeah, um, starting from starting from the jump with the with the kids is probably yeah. the best thing. And I wish I actually I you know, I had you're talking to somebody who like you know we talked about you know growing up at 16 i was that 16 year old um protagonized you know antagonizing yeah. <laughs> other people yeah uh, you know and that lets for me you know getting kicked out of brook going into cato leaving going to west philly high but get myself together and graduating on time at re, um at a you know philadelphia regional high which was like the charter before charter yeah no i know about that yeah it was at that point that i met a really great teacher called fred horton and he has become one of my biggest inspirational per people in my life yeah. and so much so that i have a ring on my my class ring that's been on my fingers from 1996 is still on my hand and i'll never take it away just wow. as a uh a tribute to education and, and how important it is as well. It is the last thing my mother's ever given me before I passed, before she passed. Yeah. And not only that, he became a groomsman in my wedding. Wow. That's, that's how amazing. much. I, uh, yeah. That's how much I valued him. He, he's been wow. an inspiration in my life and I want to see more like him, especially in our community. It's great to see yeah. that we got another uh, one out there. Wow. Thank you so much, man. It means a lot. And, you know, I think we all have the power to, do the same stuff, right? And it could start with, uh, even if, say, you're a big fan of just like gritty, stubble chinned comic books, <laughs> right? Pick up a copy of Leon and give it to a kid. You don't have to keep it. You know what I mean? I'm sure everybody's got a cousin or a kid on their block that could use some something good to read. There's also a lot of places that donate, yeah, books and everything like that. So yeah. I, you yeah. know, I may actually, I will actually, in fact, I'll guarantee you, I'll do that myself. Oh, cool! Look at that. Let's let's uh, we uh, walk the walk. Right? The hell, I'm actually going to buy a copy of my own and then give the other. <laughs> Doing it old school, it's like you keep the one and then you package you you right. bag the other one. <laughs> you got to put that on ice and then we keep that one on the coffee table. Exactly. You know how many doubles of books I got right now? <laughs> 
that's the wrap, man. But also, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely gonna look out. Uh, Jamar, thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. No if problem. you need anything else, let me know, all right? You got it. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this very special episode of Talk Time Live Exclusive. On behalf of myself and the one and only Jamar Nicholas, all I got to say is learn to let go, live life, and love all things anime, comics, movies, and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. We are out of here. Take care. This episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live is brought to you in part by Viewfinders Identity Search and Design. Your choice for web design, graphic design, and all multimedia development needs. Visit VFISAD.com and let us bring your vision to reality.